What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A Wall Street legend reflects on his time at the top. Wins, losses, major financial crises. Tell Tim Geithner, I'm on the phone with the Japanese. He can get Look, we were trying to save the firm. I didn't have time to talk to a bureaucrat. John Mack, former CEO and chairman of Morgan Stanley, infamously assertive, responsible for building and saving his bank. Would I rather go back 25 years and be back at Morgan Stanley? The answer is yes. I loved it. It was fun. In this podcast, Andrew Ross Sorkin's full interview with Mack the Knife on success, our economy, and his next chapter. I'm not embarrassed about it. It's like, you know, I got the flu. Okay, I, I have dementia. Let's deal with it. It's Friday, October 14th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now as we wrap up another wild week on Wall Street. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one. His mic, Q. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm, okay, we're going to do it this. I'm Joe Kern. You're, you're doing 730. Okay. You do, uh, you do, I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin with Joe Kernan. I'm Joe Kernan with, with Andrew, Andrew Ross Sorkin. I'm, I'm cool with it. Okay. Becky, uh, you don't prefer the top of the hour? I think it's better at the top of the hour. We better alternate those two. I'm, I you're know. good? All right. You're not like that. Far be it from you for any type of self uh, happy to promoting. Happy to always be in second position. <laughs> or third. Uh, yeah, okay. False humility. That's the worst type. Uh, Becky, uh, Becky is, <laughs> Becky's off. You're pretty successful. You should just, if you got it, flaunt it. Okay? Oh, yeah, don't oh, act. Yeah, don't. Don't. It's not. Uh, um, not becoming. No. Emmy. Freaking Emmy. You're, you're like, oh, not who, me? <laughs> We've had a wild, wild ride just yesterday in the markets. Let's talk about the swings because the Dow started uh, the session in negative territory. You may very well remember after the September CPI data came in hot. And then it swung more than 1,500 points to close up by 828 points. That prompted this tweet from former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein, who said, this is one of those trading days where if you had the news in advance above expected CPI, you really would have lost a lot of money. Boy, would have you, because the expectation there, I mean, was, oh, now the Fed's well, got to keep going. The but 50, we also just skipped, we skipped the entire Where? first half of yesterday's move, which we were down. Yes. And then we surged on the notion that Liz Truss and, well, and we company could, were, and then we were up two or three, 400 points. Right. And then the CPI came down and we flipped again to down 500. And yep. then by the end of the day, we were up 800. I kind of want to understand what you think happened yesterday. Right. I, was, I talked to a bunch of traders, yeah. all of whom nobody had a, a good explanation. The UK piece of it was like a sort of that explanation. Was but no, no, that was like earlier. a red herring situation. Do you, do you, I mean, you know what opinions are like. Yes. And on a day like that, uh, after we've been in this environment where it's just been so gut-wrenching, and you know, there, it may not be a 40 on the VIX, 
but the hopelessness was pretty thick right. yesterday at, at one point when that inflation number came out. So there's technical reasons. There's, I mean, people get short the market, so uh, and they, it, all of a sudden it starts. It's like, wait, I'm not going to make any money. It's starting to rally. Then it, that starts feeding on itself. Technical reasons, but a, a one, if you want me to try yeah. to come up with something with that inflation number, is that the peak? Well, so th- right, is that there the peak? are folks who are saying, is that the peak? Fifty. But, Okay, but if 50 you are, next time. I'm still saying that. Oh, so if you're Jay Powell, though, I don't think you've changed course. I think okay, it's you do 75 and stop. But I think he thinks he's doing 150 for the rest no, of the year. No, 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 no. Yeah. And you know what, what else? Do you think? I, but that's what the market says it's going to do. But you know what else I thought you could attribute this to? Okay, we're going to raise rates, right. and we need to normalize rates. But this darn economy is pretty solid. And in the end... I'm not going to say at the end of the day, because okay. I hate in that. In the end. But in the end, we want a resilient economy. So I know that near term, it's like, oh, my God, the Fed's got to go even further. But isn't it nice that we do have this really strong economy to start with that, that's going to probably survive whatever the Fed does, and hopefully we come roaring back with lower inflation. Hopefully that's what right. happens. So the question, though, is if that's true, and it, it, that's like the optimistic case, when's the churn? Was it yesterday? I don't know. It, if you believe at all that the market discounts right. stuff. So we have right. had people saying, look, when this does, when there's the slightest indication that, it's, that inflation might be moderating, right, this but thing's going to... I don't this know. Not the sign of that. No, at this point, it's still going to be characterized as one of those sharp snapbacks in an ongoing bear. Right. We know that, that that's... You know, how that's it's what it be. is at best. And I'm not being pessimistic, about it, but I just I don't, we don't think know that that's that's it, that you, right there. You're going out on and saying something very definitive and you may or may not be right. My point, I don't want a 40 on a VIX. I'm hoping that this Chinese water torture that we've seen in total, when you add it all up, was was really a hopeless capitulation where people finally threw in the towel. But maybe not. If it depends. The more I read, now I'm worried that, you know, that rail strike, everybody's right. going to want to raise now. And I'm worried that might start now, maybe it really is built in to a wage price spiral. Right. And that gets scary with inflation. And that's why I don't understand yesterday. But we will see. We will see. Uh, let's talk about the Bank of England, however, as well, because its emergency bond buying program scheduled to end today. UK finance minister cutting a short visit to the IMF uh, yesterday, flying back to the UK as the government there convened to address the economic crisis. Multiple reports say that a U-turn on the mini-budget could be announced later today, including reverse on the proposed freeze on corporate taxes. That moved the market a little bit yesterday. That headline just before 6 a.m. is what appeared to have prompted a 100-point swing higher in U.S. equity futures. Take a look, though, at the pound. I don't know. You want to, you want to take a trip to England? I love Seems it. Like a, I do love it. Seems um, reasonable. It does. We got our place. You know, we got our little routine over there at the Grosvenor House. Dollar um, twelve. The other thing, if you put any stock in what Jeremy Siegel says, or even Jim Paulson, or those guys. So, let's say it's a bear market rally. Okay. What is the potential downside? Jamie Dimon said another 20%. Another 20%. Is that a worst case scenario? That's probably... I'm going with the worst-case scenario. That's so a worst-case scenario. another 10% to go. If it's another 10, that... It's still th- going to be painful. It is, but it, and if that 10 is only 50-50, because everything's probabilities, 
and you want and you think eventually things are going to go you really think you're going to buy down 10 and if you buy now is it going to be that bad if you buy google which is down 60 whatever it's down take pick your alphabet whatever pick your stock and say if you buy that right now are you sure you're going to be that unhappy two years from now and are you sure you would have been able to to really scalp it with that additional 10%. Well, you tell me. You think in two I, years I, don't, no. I think that, that you, Siegel's right. Hold on. So you think two years from now, the advertising market, for example, which is right. basically a symbol of sort of what's happening in the economy, right. is going to be hotter than it is today? Yes, I hope so. Because right I now hope, it's actually still pretty I know. hot. I like higher highs and, and, higher, and higher lows for right. all of us, for our lives, for our kids. Uh, for I, I'm praying and for hoping. For the stock market, except for inflation. <laughs> I don't want higher highs and higher lows for inflation. And, and I mean, the 70s were, was scary. It really was because it, it wasn't like 12, 18 months. It was, a, it was a period of years. But that's the question. I know, I think but I don't, I don't know. Next, on Squawk Pod, we're going back to the aughts. All right, an executive shuffle over at Morgan Stanley. It's a Wall Street soap opera. Reflecting on an historic career during an historic time. Success, money, and the U.S. economy in crisis with the banker known as Mac the Knife. And I finally said, I won't do it. I'll take the firm down first, and I hung up on him. My board in their pants on that move. John Mack, the colorful head of Morgan Stanley during the financial crisis, the millions he saved and spurned, the warrior attitude he brought to Wall Street, and what it all means to him now. I know what I've done, and I know people say you're really successful, and that's great. But when you're successful in your heart, nothing better. My life is a 10. Andrew's extended, intimate conversation with John Mack right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pot. I'm producer Katie Kramer. And today, well, we'll start this going down Wall Street's memory lane. It's 1993, and John Mack, born to immigrants in a one-stoplight town in South Carolina, has just assumed leadership at investment bank Morgan Stanley. A few years pass, complete with a mini global market crash in 97, and a merger takeover of Morgan Stanley that eventually pushed him out of leadership. Mack led another bank for a couple of years, but in 2005, he returned to great fanfare, and it was reported where else? Right on Squawk Box. All right, an executive shuffle over at Morgan Stanley. It's a Wall Street soap opera. Morgan Stanley, investment bank, everything's going right. It's There's great, no great challenges thing. that Mac is facing here. I mean, it's an incredible story, a great story for him, I'm sure, personally, to be able to... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
It was quite a comeback for John Mack, pushed out four years ago by the man he would ultimately replace. But after the applause, can Mack broker peace and bring in the profits at this storied Wall Street firm? Nothing like coming home. Mack was high profile in the financial services industry. Big business names helped launch the campaign at Cipriani's in Manhattan. The first time I was asked, I said, no, you just want me to raise money. He saw Morgan Stanley grow from 300 employees to 50,000 and played a starring role in the dramatic rescue of the firm during 2008's financial crisis, all while savagely cutting costs. John Mack is one of the major figures on Wall Street, which earned him a memorable nickname. You're known as Mack the Knife. Mac reflects on it all in a new book out this week. It's called Up Close and All In, Life Lessons from a Wall Street Warrior. Uh, hi, this is um, the interview with Andrew. We're going to count some time code off here. It is 10 hours. Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke with John Mack in a wide-ranging interview. One, anytime. Anytime? Okay. Shall we start? Okay, great. More than 10 years after he retired from the investment bank. And how are you feeling? I feel good. In his memoir, Mac reveals he has early symptoms of dementia, which he'll describe in his own words. Well, a lot of people have said to me, John, you got to write a book. You've had an you know, unbelievable career. Uh, you got the firm through the crisis. You've been very successful. And it kept coming up and coming up. But it really started about three years ago where we started working on it. But it's been in my ear for 10 years Can I do it. And what do you want people to know? I want people to know that in business, it's critical that you have to make tough decisions and not all your decisions are gonna be right. And when they're the wrong decision, you pick yourself up, you get your team together, you get a new plan, you go forward. And I think in business, oftentimes, especially with less experienced managers, there's a tendency to say, this didn't work, I don't know if I wanna do this, and they kinda of give up. And my view is business is kind of knocking on doors and you get the right door to open. And it's also about building a culture that's willing to stand up and take risks and be honest and straightforward, not just internally, but also with their clients. The fall of 2008 saw the American economy sustain the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. In the U.S., a dizzying market downfall wiped out nearly $8 trillion between late 2007 and 2009. The value of Americans' homes and retirement accounts plummeted. Breaking news all over Wall Street this morning. This is a special early morning edition of Squawk as Lehman Brothers files for bankruptcy, AIG working to raise cash and come up with some kind of survival plan, and Bank of America buying Merrill Lynch for about $50 billion in stock. Final details. Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and insurer AIG required a bailout from the government, and there was a spate of rushed corporate marriages, companies merging to stave off destruction. Another day, another seismic shift on Wall Street. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley deciding to become banks. Uh, they will become traditional banks, the masters of the universe. For John Mack in the C-suite at Morgan Stanley, it was a critical time. The firm was nearly out of cash and the stock price in the single digits. Let's talk about one of those decisions and perhaps maybe one of the biggest risks you ever took at the same time. Sure. In the middle of the financial crisis, it's perhaps one of the most dramatic moments of the crisis and in your book, which you recount. 
Timothy Geithner, who later served as President Obama's first Treasury Secretary, was the president of the New York Federal Reserve in the fall of 2008. He, Fed Chair Ben Bernanke, and Bush Administration Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson, they all wanted Morgan Stanley to partner up with J.P. Morgan Chase. 2008, a Sunday night, you're on the phone, Hank Paulson, Tim Geithner, Ben Bernanke. Right. And they effectively are trying to force you to merge with another bank. Correct. Yes. So uh, Tim Geithner really drove the conversation. I think Hank was much more sanguine about investment banking and Wall Street. I mean, he wanted me to do something with the firm also, but not as aggressively as Tim. Tim said, look, I want you to call Jamie Dimon. He'll buy your firm. And I said, well, look, I, th I believe the Japanese are going to come in and put money into it. He said, well, you can't wait for that. I want you to make the call. So the next morning I called uh, Jamie and he said, John, I, I don't want your firm. I said, well, Geithner's told me you do want it. And he said, well, I'm going to call him and tell him for sure I don't want it. And if he forces me to take the firm, I wouldn't pay you $2 a share for it. And I said, well, it's not for sale for $2 a share, but Geithner is all over this, so deal with him. So that was a dialogue that went back and forth. Uh, a lot of pressure. I had the board come in because I didn't know if we'd make it. And literally, we were waiting for the Japanese to come into their office, that 12 hours difference. Right. So uh, we have nothing to do. We're watching the New England giant football game. And uh, I get a call from, uh, from Geithner and said, did you call Jamie? He kept pushing me, and I finally said, I won't do it. I'll take the firm down first, and I hung up on him. And uh, literally, uh, my board in their pants on that move. And I tell you, I can't, I don't know what caused me to do it. I just thought it was just the wrong thing to do. This moment deep in a season of crisis, was dramatized in the 2011 HBO adaptation of Andrew Ross Sorkin's 2009 book, Too Big to Fail. Actor Billy Crudup portrays Tim Geithner on the phone with John Mack, played by Tony Shalhoub. We want you to call Jamie. Let me ask you a question. 35,000 jobs just disappeared in this city between AIG, Lehman, and Bear. We make a deal with Jamie, he'll fire 20,000 Morgan Stanley employees. You think that's good public policy? Paul Giamatti is Fed Chair Ben Bernanke. John, we are looking at the whole system here. The Chinese are leaving. Gal found out we're also talking to Mitsubishi. I gotta go. Get me Kuro Yanagi and a Japanese translator. There's a moment in the story in September of 2008 okay. where your secretary is telling you that Tim Geithner is on the telephone. Right. Um, and you told her what? Well. Uh, she came in and uh, as said, Tim Geithner's on the phone, he wants to talk to you. I said, tell him I'll call him back. So she comes back in and she said, uh, he said, he wants to talk to you right now. I said, tell Tim, t tell Tim Geithner, I'm on the phone with the Japanese, he can get So that was it. Tim Geithner's calling again. Cover your ears. You tell Tim Geithner to me. I'm trying to save my company. Look, we, we, we were trying to save the firm. I didn't have time to talk to a bureaucrat. I needed money. And he just wanted me to merge the company. 
This morning, Morgan Stanley uh, talking about a capital raise, essentially getting a 20% stake of itself bought by Mitsubishi UFJ. That is Japan's biggest uh, bank there. Getting a deal done late last night, announcing it about an hour ago uh, and planning on closing it right away. James Gorman, your successor, says this was the most important thing, most important 10 minutes of your entire career. <laughs> he did say that. He sent me a, uh, an email, which I have framed. Uh, he said, this is the best 10 minutes of your career. And uh, he said, I've learned more on this situation and the, that phone call than I have in my entire career. And uh, he's been a great leader and a great supporter and uh, a really good businessman in how he turned the retail business around. But I think in the room, I think my board supported me. Clearly James, Tom Nides and others did. But let's be honest, we were all on very thin ice. And at the end of the day, I got lucky. And uh, you can say, yes, well, it goes back to the culture and the Japanese being trainees at Morgan Stanley. There were a lot of things that lined up to help us. But at the end of the day, I had no power over the Japanese. It was about the culture they had seen at Morgan Stanley, and they wanted to be a part of it, and that's what saved the firm. When you think about the culture of Wall Street, right. which you've spoken out a lot about over the years, and you think about the lessons of 2008, and you think about where we are now, right. 14 years later, right. do you think it's different? Well, I think risk management is uh, dramatically different. I think boards are more attuned to risk and also the operating businesses. I also think that leaders of firms, if you go back right after the crisis, all believe they need to be bigger, stronger, and better capitalized. And do you think that, that memories are short, long? Do you, you look at where we are now and you look at the younger people coming into the, the business? You know, I think memories are not short when you almost die. And uh, Lehman, great firm, is gone. People know that story. Uh, other firms had to merge to stay alive. I think they're embedded into the culture of Wall Street now. I think risk management, I mean, when I first got in the business, you know, risk management was once a week or once a month. You look at the balance sheet. Risk management today is minute by minute. Management question. One of the things you talk about is your name, your nickname, Mac the Knife. Right. How did that happen? So I was running the uh, fixed income division. Um, all the tea leaves said the markets were going to slow down. Uh, there were going to have to be layoffs. So, and I was convinced that was the case. So I thought I wanted to get ahead of the curve. And uh, we did headcount reduction way before anyone else. And I think that helped us get through the crisis and we cut our expenses dramatically. We cut comp dr uh, dramatically. We cut bonuses almost to zero. And we survived because early on I saw what was coming. John Mack saw many ups and downs in his decades at Morgan. In the early 2000s, following a merger with Dean Witter. I have immense respect for John and I am so anxious to take on the challenge that he and I are taking on together to go out and make this the preeminent financial services firm globally. John? Uh, thank you, Phil. He parted ways with the company, led after the merger by executive Phil Purcell. You left Morgan Stanley at one point. I did. Uh, and then went to Credit Suisse. Correct. Why did you leave? 
I, I didn't like the direction of the firm. Uh, it was being turned into a, a huge retail operation, which was fine. I believed in retail. But investment banking was not something that the firm wanted to back. And I think in investment banking in those days and even today, you need to put capital to work. You need to take risk. And the firm was not willing to take on more risk. And, uh, you know, Phil and I disagreed on a number of things. And I disagreed with the board. I thought taking risk was part of our job to help grow businesses. You had to step up and either lend money or do IPOs or whatever it took to keep them going and growing the business. So I didn't see um, a long-term path of me succeeding there. And, um, you know, I, I think if you run a business, you got to make decisions and you can't put things off. And, you know, Purcell's a good guy and he's a smart guy, but we had very different views of how to run a business. So I left. One of the other big decisions that's happening these days is whether to bring all the employees back into the office, whether you right. need to do that to maintain the culture. And this is something that a lot of leaders on Wall Street are talking about. Yeah. What do you think? Well, Andrew, I think um, to be able to walk on a trading floor and see people's faces and what's going on, or go down to investment banking and pop your head into a meeting on, are we going to finance a deal or not finance a deal? I think you need people in the office, even though technology is at the uh, point that there's a much easier to gather information. There's nothing like walking down a hallway and just poking your head into a conference room, a meeting's going on, pick up what are they dealing with, what are the risks, what could you do to help them, what advice can you give them. I believe personal contact is really important. What do you make of where we are in the economy today? I ask because some people worry and wonder whether we're headed towards another 2008. I think given what we went through during the crisis, I think regulators are much more astute and much more involved in dealing with companies and looking at their balance sheet and what kind of risk they're taking. Also think there's a lot more liquidity in the market than we had 20 years ago during the crisis. So I'm pretty comfortable, a combination of access to capital, liquidity in the market, globalization, and the Fed and the SEC all over these companies and the risks they take. Do you believe, by the way, that we are headed I towards a recession? I don't see that, no. You don't? I don't see it yet, no. Are, are, you're not, are you worried about, you think the Fed is moving too fast, too slow? Well, I'm not in a position to judge that. Uh, as long as they're moving is what's important. And they're, they're all over it, given what we went through in the crisis. John Mack's memoir of a life on Wall Street and in the rooms where it happened ends with a final chapter about news that Mack says threw a major curve into his life. I want to talk about uh, your life personally sure. for a moment, yeah. if we could. Um, you, you got a diagnosis right. recently. T tell us what happened. Sure. I was talking to uh, my good friend Jerry Spire, and uh, Jerry said to me, John, you just told me that two times. And uh, it dawned on me, am I repeating myself? So uh, I went and talked to uh, a number of neurologists and one of them sent me for a testing. And the test was, I would look at a graph of a schematic and then they'd take the piece of paper off, all right, now redraw it. And I'd get it maybe 50% right. So he said at the time, he said, look, clearly you have some cognitive issue. It's not out of control, it's not bad. 
we're going to put you on some medication, and that's what I've done. I, look, I believe if you have a problem, you go at it. I don't want to embarrass people. I don't want to embarrass myself. And that's why I was so upfront in the book. I thought, you know, I was using a different word, things happen. You got to live with it. You got to figure out how you get through it. You got to build a support system that will help you. And look, people get older and things change. And with modern medicine today, I think it's a good thing, but we're going to live a lot longer and we're going to have mental issues. We're going to have health issues. Let's deal with it. And, and I don't want to, I'm not embarrassed about it. It's like, you know, I got the flu. Okay. I, I have dementia. Let's deal with it. How are you feeling? I feel great. You know, I try to work out, exercise, try to stay busy. Uh, I got a wonderful partner in Christie. I got a family office who works with me on our investments and what we do and, and what we sell and what we buy. I try to stay involved with the New York Presbyterian Hospital, which I've been involved with for years. Um, so I try to stay active. But look, would I rather go back 25 years and be back at Morgan Stanley? The answer is yes. I loved it. It was fun. The people were great. And there was a feeling that you were right at the cusp of globalization and the friends we made in Japan and what we did in China and what we did in Europe. I miss all that. But look, you can't do it forever and just move on. Proudest moment could be career, could be life, could be family, could be whatever. Uh, the proudest moment is my family. I mean, uh, you know, I work 24-7 and uh, Christy really grew and nurtured our kids. I try to do it when I'm around, but she really ran a household and our family I'm really proud of. And without the kind of love and mentorship she had, that wouldn't have happened. So I'm most proud. <laughs> I get emotional. <laughs> I'm most proud or lucky of my wife. I mean, I know what I've done, and I know people say you're really successful, and that's great. But when you're successful in your heart, nothing better. My life is a 10. Even if tomorrow I can't even pronounce or spell or do anything, it's been a 10, and it's because of her. John Mack, it's a privilege to spend time with you. Thank you. Congratulations thank you. on the book. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing career. It's an amazing life. Well, thank you well for lived. having me. Thank you. The last line of John Mack's book offers this epilogue. My prognosis is far from perfect, but my life is perfect. If I were to go back to when I arrived in New York City, I wouldn't change anything. I have killed it. Andrew spoke to Becky and Joe after sharing this interview. The book is worth the read, guys. And uh, you can watch the entire interview on CNBC Pro and check out the book. It is called Up Close and All In. With Can I Mack. just say, I, I love John Mack. He's always been such a, a gentleman so such, and so considerate and kind and thoughtful, even while he was doing one of these titans of the world jobs. I admire him greatly for saying what he said about going after this. There's no reason to be embarrassed about this any more than there is a broken arm or anything else that you might have going after you to come out and speak out about this, to have other people potentially follow the follow what he saw with this. He didn't know what was happening. You got to look for early signs. You got to attack it. They've been giving him medication. I wish John and his wife the best, and I am um, inspired by what he said to you, Andrew. Yeah, and he explained you know it, how you 
can measure, because I, I Googled that immediately to find out the, the assays and, and tests that you can do. And there's, you know, you can do some genetic testing, obviously, to see if it's in your family. But then rapid eye movement testing, there's all kinds of, of different ways. And what he said, you know, they show you something and then right. a couple seconds later you need to, to, to try to repeat it. But uh, cognitive tests, I think it helps to do but we wordles and all these things they say do do all this stuff. I think it also helps to have a baseline. Uh, yeah. Like some of the testing again from family who I've known right. gone through some of these things. You need a baseline so you can tell if there is a deterioration. Um, I used to be better at Jeopardy. That's all I'm going to say. At uh, what? At Jeopardy. And uh, I, I I mean that's not a test. That's not an endorsement one way or the other. But there are things I know that I can't come up with immediately. You know, and I'm, it makes you wonder. Yeah, you're pretty good at the wordle and the jumble. And wordle, jumble, octurtle, uh, <laughs> I do them all. Um, anyway, it, that's, it's really touching to hear from John Mack. I yep, think that's no, we're glad, uh, as you say, hey, really glad to have the conversation. the bell tolls, because yep. you know, it, it tolls for thee. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Information about dementia, finding support for caregivers, and more resources can be found at the website of the Alzheimer's Association. Its address is alz.org. Thank you for listening to Squawk Pod today and every day that you do. This podcast is produced by me, Katie Kramer, and Cameron Costa, and edited by John Lazration. We owe much gratitude to Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, as well as the many other CNBC journalists, past and present, whose work you heard moments from in today's pod. Thanks to HBO for clips from the movie adaptation of Too Big to Fail, and thanks to Andrew and producer Jackie Corba for their work on this episode. And that's it for today. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.